0: which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash boreyoutosleep that's try better H-E-L-P and join over 500,000 people Taking charge of their mental health. Special offer for Boy You To Sleep listeners with 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash you to sleep. Tonight's reading comes from The New Democracy by Walter Vruman. Published in 1897. The book focuses on the events leading up to the U.S. presidential election in the year 1900. While I don't have a personal allegiance to any political party in U.S. politics, it's interesting to see the similarities between what's happening today and what was taking place 120 years ago. My name is Teddy and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. I am grateful that you have chosen this podcast to assist you with your sleep. It is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Special thanks to CastBox listener, Elyon McMickle, ...for your lovely review on the CastBox app. Thank you also to all the Patreon and Anchor supporters... ...that continue to sponsor the show. It's the support from all of you... ...that allows me to keep bringing out more and more episodes. If you do find the podcast beneficial... ...there is a small but hugely helpful favour... ...that you can provide... Please share the podcast with a friend, and if possible, kindly leave a review in your podcast app. There are a lot of people out there who are struggling with sleep, and my goal is to help as many people as possible get the sleep that they need. If you would like, you can also say hello at boytosleep.com, where you can support the podcast. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, at sleep. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the ratings. Tonight's reading comes from The New Democracy, a handbook for democratic speakers and workers, by Walter Vrooman. Preface Upon the close of the 1896 national campaign, it was decided at an informal conference of several of the leaders of the Democratic Party to establish a bureau of speakers for the continuous propaganda of democratic principles by new and young men, while the acknowledged leaders of the party were busy in the Senate And the House of Representatives. In December 1896, headquarters were opened at St. Louis. Several hundred speakers soon became attached to this bureau, and it was decided to form a permanent organization that would bring together not only the speakers, but all the workers of the party The outcome of this has been the organisation of the National Volunteers of Democracy, with the Speaker's Bureau and Training School as a special department. Each volunteer is expected to assist in forming regular democratic clubs, except where for special reasons it is found advisable to organise silver or populist clubs and also to build up and strengthen clubs now in existence. Heretofore, the handbooks of democratic speakers and workers have been so stuffed with statistics and figures as to burden and confuse the minds of their readers. Consequently, there is demand for something simpler For something that will give a bird's eye view of the political situation, with suggestions as to the best methods of work and speech. It is to supply such a handbook to democratic speakers and workers, and to outline the plans of the democratic volunteers, that this little book has been written. June 1, St. Louis, 1897. Chapter 1. Introductory The new democracy is the old democracy. It is likewise the only democracy, and in July 1896, after years of suppression, it became the regular democracy. The democracy taught by Jefferson and Jackson is the democracy of Bryan, Stone, and the Chicago Platform. But the victory at Chicago of true democracy, over the counterfeit that for years fraudulently used its name, was not, however, a finality. It was a beginning, and what was there accomplished nationally is yet to be accomplished locally in many states and cities. We have not only to push on to new and local victories, after taking the central citadel, but what is of greater importance must hold the positions already taken. It was said that at a Chicago convention we not only raised the dead, but cast out devils. We must remember, however, that there are other devils, which in many places still possess the party locally, and the miracle of casting them out can only be performed by the power that comes of unselfish patriotism. It is noble to fight for a righteous cause, but it is glorious to win in a righteous fight. The exposure of Republican lies, the betrayal of their every promise, made prior to the last general election, The Pertify back of their pre-election threats have made democratic victory reasonably certain in 1900. When the country has been cursed four years more by the infamous gold standard and monopoly rule, the majority of the people will favour a radical change. We can be defeated only in one way. Let us repeat this. There is but one possible way by which the producing classes can be defeated at the polls in 1900. That is by the same old trick used by tyrants in all ages. The placing of their own lieutenants as the leaders of the people. The plutocrats fully appreciate this. They know that the people weary of republican misrule will vote another party into power, hence their only salvation is to guide and control. They can do this in but one way, by having the opposing army officered by generals of their own choosing. It makes no difference how big the army, if the enemy chooses its officers, it is doomed. This was the trick by which Monopoly defeated democracy in several states during the recent campaign. By a bold move on the part of the plutocracy, backed by ample corruption funds, the willing tools of the money power were in many places made leaders of the very army formed to destroy the money power. As a consequence, we, the people, cast the votes, while in many places the gold-standard representatives of the Republican and Democratic parties counted them, and incidentally failed to count many. In 1900, the people may poll any number of votes, but if we fail to stamp out such traitors, as David Bennett Hill, Calvin S. Bryce, C. Whitney, and John C. Carlyle, who use the democratic name only to defeat democratic principles, and who claim friendship for the poor man only to add his product to the fortunes of the rich. Unless we expel these conspirators and hypocrites from the Democratic Party, with all their abettors and partners in fraud, we will be defeated in spite of our overwhelming advantage in numbers. Democracy now means the people against the organized money power. It is simply insanity for us to prepare for battle and select as drill masters men whose salaries are paid by the very money power against which we fight. Suppose a million American soldier boys were to march with flying flags and beating drums against an invading army of Cossacks and Turks, and that by some trick the wily Tsar and Sultan should secure the appointment of Russian and Turkish officers over our troops. Should we be surprised if thousands of our brave boys were led headlong into ditches and slaughtered like rats in a trap and our magnificent army cut in pieces by half as many European king worshippers? We should not be surprised and no man who knows anything about war could have been surprised when such fate befell the magnificent army of raw recruits led last year by Bryan against the invasion of the European money despots. We were cut into pieces, ambushed, scattered and defeated solely by the treachery of subordinate leaders whom our great champion and the people trusted, who, by sympathies, self-interest and custom, were bound to the very money power that we were fighting to overthrow, and now the very men who sold out the people, who defeated the cause of American independence and fastened upon our nation the rule of the European money power for four years, These same men, led by that adept in low cunning, that master of political connivory, and arch-enemy of popular rights, David Bennett Hill, are trying to get a foothold again in the party they have just defeated, are again trying to gain the confidence of the millions whose liberties they sold, ...and whose children they are now trying to betray into perpetual slavery. Some may say that it is impossible for these conspirators ever again to get a hold on the Democratic Party. Such overconfidence is always a fatal weakness in war. When we know that the only possible way for plutocracy to continue to rule our country is by corrupting the Democratic Party and placing its own agents in democracy's councils, and that the united money power of the world will, during the next four years, attempt to man democracy's army with plutocracy's hirelings. Our business is not to lull ourselves into a false belief of security, but to work by day and watch by night, to defeat the enemy. It is not for us to proudly boast that there is no danger, for there is danger, grave danger, solemn and awful danger, that with an unlimited use of money and the purchase of the best political genius and cunning of our country by monopoly, we may again be betrayed on the eve of the battle. When the outcome of our struggle is a world to be gained or lost, civilization to go forward or be derailed, all that is dear to us, all that is most sacred in life saved to us or snatched from us, we cannot be too alert, too eager or too anxious cannot prepare or organize too thoroughly for the primaries that are to decide the leadership and control of democracy in the contest of 1900. We should, each of us, swear in the name of God and man that all the power and influence we possess shall be earnestly exerted from now until 1900 in ridding our party of these parasites who are in it, only to destroy it. We should bitterly oppose the selection of any man for election judge, precinct captain, ward committeeman, city committeeman, county committeeman, state committeeman, national committeeman, or any other place of trust in our party, who is known to be in sympathy with or friendly to the gold standard or to any one of the giant trusts now helping to destroy our republic? If we would destroy the trusts, we must be led only by known enemies of the trusts. If we would be victorious in this conflict against plutocracy, We must follow only leaders whose records prove clearly that they are absolutely free from entangling alliances with plutocracy. Some say we must harmonize all elements. We cannot harmonize the interests of the man who steals and the man who is stolen from any more than we can harmonize fire and water. We only weaken our cause by trying to get the men against whom we are fighting to join us. Someone exclaims, we must have the gold democrats with us, or we are lost. There can be no such thing as a gold democrat. The democratic party stands for the abolition of the gold standard and every other monopoly by means of which scheming monopolies rob the public. A gold democrat is as much an impossibility as a round square, white lamp, black, or a red-hot icicle. The plutocrats who left the Democratic Party and enlisted under the banner of Mark Hanna will never join us except for the purpose of defeating our plans, they will never work for the success of the democratic banner unless they themselves carry that banner and lead us, its followers, into their own traps, wherein we shall be despoiled for the vote of every traitor and deserter gained by such cowardly attempts at compromise we shall lose a hundred loyal votes through sheer despair. We do not need the gold bugs. If they are honest in their professed change of heart, they will vote for honest, fearless candidates as well as those of milk and water brand, or who have no definite programme except their secret pledges to moneyed constituents. If they have not experienced a change of heart, we do not want them. For it is better that they remain open enemies than they become professed friends, seeking an opportunity again to betray us. We do not object to receiving in the ranks the man who comes back to the Democratic Party and says, I deserted you, but I now wish to return to the fold. I was a traitor during the last campaign, but I am willing to vote with you hereafter. But the manhood, the self-respect, the enthusiasm of democracy do object and register a vigorous protest to permitting these deserters to assume places of responsibility with power to sell the people out again no one objects to the gold bugs returning to our fold, any more than we should to the blind regaining their sight, or to the sinners desiring to wash away their sins, but we do object to these sinners returning at the price of giving our party organization over into their hands. A Pertinent Illustration An ominous example of the methods being used to capture democracy by the money power was afforded by the lawless militarism brought into play by the gold bugs at the recent Municipal Democratic Convention of St. Louis, when their fraud being discovered and legitimately defeated by the people at the primaries and at the convention they appealed to the last resort of despotism everywhere, the force of arms. For many years, a clique of unscrupulous politicians controlled by St. Louis Democratic Conventions, early in the April campaign, Mr. Hugh Brady, for many years chairman of the Democratic City Central Committee, stated in an interview published in the St. Louis Papers that a clique of machine politicians had fixed the machine to nominate Mr. Edward Harrison for mayor. The street railway managers, who last fall-knifed Brian and the Chicago platform, came to the front as Mr. Harrison's supporters. Mr. C. C. Maffitt, who bolted the party last fall, headed his delegation, and in other wards, the Harrison delegations were led by gold baltocrats. The machine was for Harrison, and Hugh Brady declared the machine could nominate any man it wanted. The men who supported Mr. Lee Merriweather for mayor were all aggressive Bryan Democrats and opposed not only the gold standard, but also opposed streetcar domination in city affairs. They appealed from the machine to the people. They pointed out how the leading supporters of the machine candidate were gold baltocrats and street railway managers who used their political influence to escape paying hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxes legally due to the city treasury. They insisted that franchises to monopolize the public streets ought to be sold, not given away to private corporations. And on this platform, they secured enough delegates to control the convention. On the morning following the primary election, even the Republic, the organ of the machine, admitted that Mr. Harrison had but 134 delegates, while the opposition had 153. When the delegates opposed to Mr. Harrison united in supporting Mr. Merriweather, it was apparent that nothing short of fraud and force could prevent the defeat of the machine. Accordingly, Mr. Ed DeVoy, chairman of the Central Committee, called the convention to order and hurriedly announced as its governing officers, Mers Lutz Barrett and Wand, the three campaign managers of the machine candidate, Scarcely was the announcement made when ex-governor Norman J. Coleman rose and protested against the attempt to muzzle the convention and nominated for chairman Mr. Sterling P. Bond. Upon Devoe's refusing to put this motion, one of the delegates, R.T. Brownrigg, made the motion which was duly seconded and Governor Coleman put the question to the convention, and it was carried by a majority of the delegates. In a similar way, secretaries and sergeants-at-arms were elected, the convention refusing to accept the slate prepared by the machine. After the committees had been appointed and reported, nominations for mayor were made, and on the second ballot, Lee Merriweather received 155 votes, 11 more than a majority of all the delegates elected, and he was accordingly declared the nominee of the Democratic Party. Thereupon ensued a scene more worthy of Russian than of the American Republic, foiled in the attempt to carry the primaries, foiled again in the effort to force their own tools upon the convention as governing officers. The gold men and the street railway managers, who were present on the floor of the convention, played their last card in the game to defeat the candidate pledged to make them pay their taxes, and ordered their servant, Devoy to do by force what he had failed to do by fraud. A board of police commissioners lent themselves to this shameful assault upon American liberty and ordered 300 armed police to drive from the hall the delegates opposed to Mr. Harrison, Sterling P. Bond, John J. Fitzwilliam, and W.A. Brandenburger the duly elected chairman and secretaries of the convention were brutally assaulted by the police. Mr. Bond was carted away to jail in a patrol wagon. Mr. Merriweather, who had been called on to address the convention after his nomination for mayor, was thrown from the platform by two policemen and in company with a majority of the delegates was forcibly expelled from the hall. Since the 9th of November 1799, when Napoleon's grandees drove the French deputies out of their convention hall at the point of the bayonet, history affords no parallel to this outrage by the St. Louis Baltocratic politicians that in claiming a convention has no right to elect its own presiding officers, the gold baltocrats were utterly wrong in custom, as well as equity, will be seen by recalling the manner in which last year the Chicago Convention refused to accept Senator Hill, the National Democratic Committee's suggestion for chairman, and instead elected Daniel, a silver senator from Virginia. Although the St. Louis papers subsequently supported Mr. Harrison, whose nomination was only accomplished by the illegal use of 300 police, those same papers did not hesitate to say, the morning after the convention, that the action of the machine was illegal and tyrannical. A warning for the future. Might never makes right. The candidate whose nomination rests not upon ballots, but upon the clubs and guns of 300 policemen, cannot be the rightful nominee of democracy, which means people's rule, not police rule. When appeal was made from the outrage of the corrupt political machine, The Court of Appeals decided that the matter was beyond its jurisdiction, that no court has the power to review the action of the election commissioners, even though they certify to the nomination of a candidate without a shadow of right to such nomination. Had the court consented to examine the evidence and gone into the merits of the case, It could not but have decided that the rightful nominee for mayor was Mr. Merriweather, who had the affidavits of a majority of the delegates showing that they had supported him in the convention. The high-handed attempt of the gold baltocrats to tyrannize over the convention resulted in democracy's defeat but despite the stinging rebuke administered by an outraged people. The machine is again endeavouring to fasten itself upon the Democratic Party of St. Louis. The same tactics and even more desperate and lawless ones will be used by the gold plutocrats throughout our country. The people must be prepared to meet them. What are the best methods of preparation? It is to give some suggestions as to the methods, and to increase the vigilance of the patriotic Democrats, and friends of humanity in whose hands it may fall, that this little volume has been written. Chapter 2 How to Begin Work The immediate purpose of the Democratic Volunteers is to organize and carry on in the most effective way the Campaign for 1900. They seek to build up and foster the democracy of Jefferson, Jackson, Bryan and the Chicago Platform by seeing first that the common people remain in control of the Democratic Party and second, ...that the Democratic Party, representing the common people, gets control of the country in 1900. It is further hoped that the Volunteers, thus organised and trained, will become a permanent force in the history of our nation. The power and the guidance of the forces behind the nation's progress, a means of uniting the best intelligence of our race... With that faith and deep religious purpose, which permeate the common people, and of expediting the conscious cooperation of individuals, with those giant forces that are slowly but surely destroying the old and building up the new civilization. Our plan appeals principally to young men, our methods are new. At least to this generation, and as we believe that the great battle in which we are engaged must be led by the most vigorous, active and courageous among us, we depend principally upon young men for leadership and work, knowing that our principles are eternal and that in proclaiming that we have the support of the great common people of posterity and of God, the volunteers are expected to assume, upon all occasions, an attitude of absolute confidence. We are to utilize every force and every means that perception can discover, or ingenuity devise for the forwarding of our movement. We are to proceed, not only by usual but by unusual methods, taking possession of resources never before thought of in political campaigns or religious crusades. Our principles are to be declared both in public and in private, and propagated methodically and persistently in every existing institution organization, or association of men and women. The church is the center of activity for many. This class can be reached best by having our truths come to them through the channel, by which they usually receive their opinion and ideals, namely, the church. There are other hundreds of thousands whose lives center about the liquor saloons, To reach these, our speakers must go to the saloons. In many agricultural communities, it is customary to hold meetings in schoolhouses, while in good weather, picnics, barbecues, and all-day gatherings take place in the woods. To these various customs, our speakers must adapt themselves In some sections, the camp meeting lasts for a week or two, in great tents or in special woodland resorts, permanently constructed and kept for that purpose. Our volunteers will find here opportunities for effective work. But for the reasons of economy, the greater part of our work will be done outdoors, Platocracy can afford to hire a dozen halls where one drawing speaker can be secured. Our movement has a dozen speakers to every hall we can afford to hire. We will consider first, therefore, methods of speaking outdoors. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope it's put you in a state that you feel a little drowsy And if you're not quite drowsy yet, feel free to listen to another episode. In the meantime, I'll be working on bringing you a new episode very soon. Good night.